hello and welcome to the People's News Roundup. Today we have with us um, Ewan Doherty, founder of the People's News. Doherty. (laughs) Um, And Henry Jones? Correct. Yes, nice. We're good. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, And we will be talking about Gaza. Um, as it has been very relevant in the news recently, renationalising of the railway and Brexit. Um, let's start off with Gaza. Ewan, will you give us a little bit of a lowdown on what is happening in Gaza at the moment? Well, it's been, uh, we've seen some pretty horrific uh, footage um, from the Gaza Strip. Obviously, there's been these protests um, and then murders by the Israeli government. Um, they've shot um, over a 1,000 uh, Palestinian civilians. Uh, they've killed over 50 and... It's a, a brutal attack on citizens by a, a regime that um, is rather questionable in its morality. And we've seen, obviously, protests in this country and, and in Israel against um, these killings, um, sparked by mainly by Donald Trump's decision to put his embassy in Israel, in Israel, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's it. That's the one. It is in Israel, to be fair. No, I wasn't wrong in that statement. Um, the Israeli embassy will be in Israel. Yeah. <laughs> no surprises there. It'd be a rogue call if it was. Well, one could argue that it's not in Israel, but uh, we won't go oh, that. Not, oh, <laughs> not today. Not today. Um, yeah, some really, really shocking. Yeah, I am trying to... Yeah. I mean, what's happened is completely unjustifiable. Um I think yeah that there are there are some who argue that it, it's not been motivated by Donald Trump's decision, but um it obviously has been. Um, be pretty dim to argue that. Well, the protests have do happen most years. I mean, it, it is a um a protest of the eviction of thousands of Palestinians yeah. at the when the state of Israel was founded. Obviously, they were chased off their land, um, evicted from the yeah. country, um, made worse by Trump's decision to back Israel. Um, yeah. Fully, and it seems to have emboldened that sort of the, the idea of Israeli dominance in the region. Peace now looks an absolute it million does, yeah. miles away. Um, and I think I'd have a little, a, a tiny sliver of sympathy for the Israeli military if the Palestinians were violent. So if the Palestinians mm. were armed and all that, you know, yes, you can you can sort of sympathise with the military against who are attacking armed protesters. That is, I can sort of sympathise with that, but. But I think what kind of epitomizes everything is Al Jazeera, who obviously reporting on it, um, sent three of their journalists there. And two of their journalists were shot. Mm. And journalists don't, journalists don't tend to fall into the category of violent protesters. Their yeah. weapon tends to be, you know, a notebook. They're writing down stuff and cameras. And yet they were also shot. Yeah. Children, again, children don't throw rocks and bricks. They just sort of look confused. And yet they still get shot. And you know, it, it's been a non, a largely non-violent protest. It seems, um, mm. although that's one point of view. There are other points of view that, of course, are more conspiracy theories. Um, there's something in the news today that suggests that 40 of the six, no, it's 50 that were killed were Hamas operatives. But obviously, that's um, not actually true. Mm. Um, but it was an it was, it was an interesting um, take on it all. Yeah, it's a, the, the theory that's been piloted by the Israelis is that it's a Hamas plot to, for something. Yeah. And repeated by various um, Zionist groups in, in this country, Labour Friends of Israel got a hell of a lot of stick for a tweet that they sent out um, blaming Hamas and Palestinians for the killings. Um, there is no way you can blame these Palestinian mm. civilians for this. I mean, 
whoever wrote that tweet, in my opinion, be expelled from the Labour Party. Talk to me. What what should the how should the world be reacting, and how should the United States be reacting to what is going on in Israel at the moment? Um, I think, as with anything, you know, um, I think the UK should attempt to sort of take a lead on things. Um, the US obviously going to do absolutely nothing. Um, they have a veto in the European Security Council. Um, generally, um, the sort of thing would be led by the United Nations. Um, the body in the UN that would be responsible for this would be the Security Council, and the US will veto anything on that. So I think we can rule out the UN on this, um, you know, just because we're not really going to get very far with them. Um, so it's, it's difficult for Theresa May. You know, she's got you know, you know some pretty pressing domestic issues at the moment, um, and, and I think you know she perhaps rightly is prioritising domestic issues over foreign issues. But but regardless, you know this. But it's not hard to draft a statement saying, I, know, I, I, I fully agree. condemn the Israeli government, I will enact I these agree. sanctions upon the Israeli government, I will stop selling them weapons. Well, I think, unfortunately, and you know, I do not empathize, I do not condone this, um, but, but, but for Theresa May, um, her relationship with Donald Trump is at stake. You know, she, she puts uh, sanctions on Israel, um, you know, she jeopardizes her relationship with Trump. And, you know, whilst I don't think it's right, I think we should be putting sanctions on Israel, obviously. Um, I can understand why Theresa May wouldn't. Um, she does need a strong relationship with the US, and perhaps wrongly, but but this is this is her opinion. You know, her her relationship with the US is more important than condemning Israel's actions. I think we might move on. Thank you very much, both of you, to the renationalisation of the railways. Wow. Woohoo! Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Do we have any opponents to this at the moment? <laughs> Henry, talk to me. Why is this a logical idea? It's the East Coast Main Line, um, which essentially is just a, a train line going north from London um, up the East Coast. Um, and it's currently operated by Virgin and Stagecoach kind of together. And the way it works is pretty simple. Um, when they make a loss, the government will make up the, that loss. The taxpayer will pay for the loss. Awesome. When they make a profit, they obviously keep the profit. Um, now, what's happening at the moment is they're making a huge loss. I think it's about £200 million per year um, on that train line specifically. And Chris Grayling, it seems, has put his foot down and just turned around and said, no, we're not going to carry on paying for your losses. And I think you know, the arguments for nationalisation as a whole um, are pretty clear. Um, Trains should not be a profit-making industry. Um, they do seem to be monopolies. So the um, Competition Commission in the government will, uh, they naturally will investigate any um, industry that, where the monopoly concentration is more than 25%. Mm. So supermarkets, for example, if, let's say, Sainsbury's had a 30% domination of the industry, they would investigate Sainsbury's. Um, the line that I, so I live in Sherburn and sort of Sherburn to London, that's Southwest Trains, they have 100% um, monopoly. Wow. I have to pay the price they set, and it's a profit-making business, and they made £700 million in profit last year from having ridiculous prices. Um, it, it just shouldn't be a profit-making business. Um, train fares have gone up uh, four times the rate of inflation since 1995. Um, a train from London to Manchester used to be £50. This is not, I'm not peddling with the numbers, this is adjusted for inflation. It used mm -hmm. to be £50, now it's £236. Um, it's, it's crazy. Mm. Yeah, bizarre. It's also worth noting that subsidies to the rail companies have gone up since privatisation, not down. The idea was it was meant to be more efficient. Um, but in the end, the state is not only subsidising the operator, Network Rail are a state-owned company. They own all the infrastructure. Yeah. So most people... They say that you know when in the back in the back in the good old days or the bad old days, depending on who you're talking to, with British Rail, that they never kept the infrastructure up to date. But we already own the infrastructure. It's only the operators 
we're paying for the tracks, we're paying for the losses. Why not take them back on board, uh, make the profits ourselves? It's worth noting that uh, East... The East Coast Main Line. Thank you. East Coast Main Line um, was in national hands between 2008, I believe, and, and was privatised in 2015. In 2014, it made a £200 million profit, which went back into the taxpayer uh, and could be used to pay for schools, hospitals, roads, whatever else, or the infrastructure itself. Why allow both foreign governments, there's a lot of uh, rail companies run by foreign state companies, and uh, corporates to make profits, ripping off passengers, let's make the profit ourselves. Seems totally logical. What would um, you say, Ewan, then, to like the counter-argument that a nationalisation would be maybe an increase in profits or losses taken on by the government, but at the same time would be a decrease in standard because privatisation increases the the customer service? No, it, it doesn't, though, because you can still run these... Uh, Run them just as a price, you know, as either as a profit making enterprise or a non profit or whatever you want. It won't decrease service. No one at the moment is saying, Oh, our, our trains run brilliantly. They're awful. They're never on time. They're too expensive. The best trains on the continent are in Switzerland and in Germany. Both those and two, France. and France, both those two countries Sweet. have, have st- <laughs> well, you just interrupted me. And what degree do you France. do? I was about two, I was, I was doing two, okay, <laughs> I was doing two. <laughs> uh, have, are both state owned um, I actually uh, went on Eurostar um, from London to Paris recently and I was in the driver's cab uh, with a few drivers contracts um, <laughs> basically the theme was any sort of infrastructure or anything they had it in France because they were willing to pay but in England nobody could be bothered for X safety measure, X speed measure. You know, this is like nets next to the track. Having it state-owned, we know this from Europe, more efficient trains, cheaper trains, profits for the state. There are no advantages for private train operators. So why do the Conservatives keep that? Because they've got rich friends who make money off it. That's why. I disagree. I think there is there is a one issue in part. There are, well, actually, there are a few issues. Number one is unemployment. So there are lots of people um, employed by private state companies private uh, train companies so there are 40,000 people that are employed by stagecoach if mm. we start renationalizing the rail services what you have to do is find jobs for those 40,000 people now ideally they'll then start working for the government the other issue is if we take the london to manchester route for example people haven't suddenly stopped moving from london to manchester that is still a popular route they're just doing it in different means and in reality they're just flying because to be honest it's cheaper to fly from london to manchester than it is to pay for a £240 train ticket. It's cheaper to fly. Which is mad. Which is crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So what you will have to think about uh, you know, is our potential losses to um, airlines like EasyJet that are you know, currently suffering anyway. Um, but you know, to be honest, it, it'll be cheaper for the consumer. Um, but it is, it is bizarre that given a choice between getting a train and flying, people are flying. Just you know, how, Why is flying cheaper? Any last remarks before we move on? No. Well, some sense finally from this Conservative government. <laughs> policy I support. Um, a policy, I think. I think we uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't um, forget that actually what this shows is that the Tories are basically just adopting Labour Party policies. Mm. Um, that they, they saw how how well um, Labour did twenty seventeen the snap election. Um, they saw how popular their policies were. Even I read the Labour manifesto in twenty seventeen and think mm, this is actually pretty good. 
Um, even I. <laughs> even you. Even Henry is in his right-wing conservative ways. Oh, God, yeah. Just, I'm just, you know, BNP. I love all that shit. Stop laughing. Stop laughing. BNP, UKIP, I love all that. Um, but, uh... They do poll so, very well, though. There's policies in the, yeah. the Labour Party individually poll at 60, 70, 80%. If you keep Corbyn and Labour's name out of it, their policies poll unbelievably well, especially nationalisation, polls up yeah. upwards of 70%. Yeah. So there's, a, there's an interesting side topic for you. Remove Corbyn, do Labour's policies... No, it's not, not only Corbyn, it's but Labour and thing. If you poll... There was an article in the Financial Times about this. If you ask people, if you go and ask people... Do you agree with these policies? And if they're conservative voting systems, and you yeah. say, and they agree with them, they will assume that they are conservative policies. Yeah, mm. that's because fundamentally in the UK we don't vote for policies; we vote for leaders. Yeah, we and vote for image. the person we want in power, which I think yeah. is wrong. But hey ho. Uh, but yeah, and and Labour, and if you keep if you if you keep um, labels out of politics, people swing radically to the left, um, and that's possibly due to the fact that the Conservative Party control a large amount of the media and therefore use that nicely for their benefit. It very much seems like Corbyn has shifted the political views that are acceptable. Um, he shifted it completely to the left. Um, and I, I want to pose the question. Um, do you think that will stay once Corbyn leaves? Um, Ewan, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the Labour Party... Is a young is a young person's party right now. I mean, whoever replaces Corbyn, it will be a young Corbynista. It will be someone from exactly the same cut of cloth, the same sort of policies. And what they'll have to do is redo the image. Really, we need to rebrand these policies. It's not a return to the nineteen eighties, but a look forward. Um, and I think the own party, if it goes away, I mean, I, I'm not exactly the most radical in the party, and I'd like to see them go further left on the mainstream stage. Um, but it I, begs the question. Do you th- sorry to interrupt? But I, I, I will not vote for Labour currently. I, I will read their manifesto. I think that is good. We're not having a discussion as to why I don't like Corbyn. I will read their manifesto. I think it is good, but I won't v- vote for Labour. Put in a younger leader who I like more and has Labour Party policies. I'll vote for them. Why so is that? that? Question. Because Henry's a hypocrite. Have you just heard him say it was horrible that people vote on personality and then in vain say exactly the same yeah. thing? Look at that. Yeah, it was a U-turn about a minute. <laughs> but, it, but it's true. You know, I, 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 fundamentally, yes, it's wrong. But I, I dislike, I don't want Corbyn leading us on the world stage in terms of his personality. He's, he's an extreme. And you but want pretty much May? anyone else. And I, I, I think he's Theresa May? No, I think he's got a good point. If you put in whoever else in the, in the party, as long as it's not Diane Abbott or John McDonnell, I think you would... Or Emily Thornbury. Yes, okay. Um, mm-hmm. um, you would see more votes in certain areas flood to Labour. Not The the membership wouldn't be too pleased, um, but, you know, let's say Keir Starmer was in charge of the Labour Party or... Uh... You adore him, don't you? No, actually, I don't. He's very competent. He's, not... uh, he's a bit, bit, bit soft for me, but... Uh... Okay. If you put someone like him in, you know, a Corbynista, a, a you know, a solid uh, socialist in, but with a sort of politicians. Well, actually, we say that we you might win people like you, Henry, over from the Conservative Party in the centre ground. You might lose first-time voters and anti-establishment voters, 
that Corbyn has been attracting. Yeah, I, I fundamentally just I, I'd love to see Labour in power. You know, I, I really desperately want to see a Labour government. You know, particularly, you know, the next five years of my life are pretty crucial. You know, university and finding a job. I want a Labour government. I don't think Jeremy Corbyn will ever be prime minister. I don't think Labour will win an election under Corbyn, and that is why I want him out. Get a fresh leader, have an election. Corbyn, uh, the Labour Party will win. I, that's my belief at the moment. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that, Henry. Um, That's all right. I just <laughs> <laughs> showing you're a hypocrite, but we, it's okay. It's okay. We, it's we, fine. I'm we, proud we, of it. Got, nailed, got absolutely nailed for it. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, Henry, will you just give us a quick um, brief on what's been happening with Brexit recently? Um, uh, I'm going to decline on that. Okay. I'd like you and Stuart, um, purely because I'm not as read up as I'd like to be on Brexit. Okay. Um, so, so someone else can do that. You right, and so, it's just been a good <laughs> Good job I've been uh, actually reading the papers recently. Um, so the the issue we debated last week with the customs partnership, that um, the battle within the Conservative Party seems to have been won by um, the people with, who actually had policies, which was Theresa May and Philip Hammond. What they've agreed is a, a, a customs partnership or a customs stop. Um, so Which means? Basically, when we leave the um, single market, which won't be... I don't think it will be after, um, it won't be in 2019, I think it will be two years on for that, after the transitional deal. Um, what it will allow is they'll match um, their customs with the EU, um, and that will allow them to keep, solve the Irish border problem. And basically, it's a similar arrangement to what the Labour Party have been saying for months now. Um, not quite the same as it's a customs partnership, um, not, a, not a customs union. And critically, the Labour Party don't want to be in the customs union, they want to be in a customs union, and Theresa May wants to be in a customs partnership. And you can see why people are seeing, having trouble seeing the difference between the two parties on this issue. Uh, it's, it seems like pedantics, but what, what is the difference? What is the difference? The ideology of a customs partnership is that it gives Britain more freedom negotiating trade with other countries but so does Labour's arrangement. That's the difference between the customs union and a customs arrangement. If we were inside the customs union, we wouldn't be able to negotiate um, our own trade deals with any other country, whoever may that be, you know, cloud cookie land or whatever else is queuing up around the door. And that's the difference. They basically are still trying to fulfil the promises that they're beginning to realise are going to be quite hard to match. So, So you're saying they're stepping out of the customs union but when it comes to trading with the EU, they're matching them on everything that they're doing so that they can stay one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, sort of. It's going to be a customs part. Yeah, a customs partnership. Cool. So it'll be sort of halfway in the customs union, halfway out. And um, if you can explain for those listening, so part of the argument, what well, one of the arguments for Brexit was if we want to trade with a developing nation that isn't in the EU, like South Korea, Japan, for example, we can do that. We can negotiate a trade agreement with them. But we have to put tariffs on what we buy from them. It's a EU set tariff. What does the decision today mean for once we've left the EU trading with countries like South Korea tariff free? Well, but proposed tariff free. I mean, we'd have to if we haven't negotiated a rule, uh, an agreement with a country, we'd be on WTO rules uh, rather yeah. than the EU's original agreements. Um, so we'd have to negotiate free trade deals with countries individually. Um, which is what other what other countries do. We aren't allowed to negotiate these deals until we've left the EU, which means there will be a period where we don't have any free trade deals um, with anyone. We'll be on WTO rules 
well, we'll be on whatever deal we strike with the EU, the EU nations, um, and we'll be on WTO rules for others. The other arrangement, which has been discussed uh, in committee, is joining the EFTA, which is the European Free Trade Agreement, which isn't the EU. These are the countries on the outside of the EU. These are Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein, and I don't know the fourth country. Um, these are nations that were previously on the outside of the EU. Uh, most of them is a, a, are in the single market. They have slightly different um, arrangements um, surrounding, and there's a, it's in committee to join that trade block, and that will help us integrate with uh, some European neighbours, obviously Norway, um, quite crucial for our oil, for example. Iceland, I don't know what they do with fish. Geothermal energy. Yeah. That's <laughs> that... pretty hard to export. <laughs> well, we might do that. I'd love to see that happen. I really, I think that'd be brilliant if that could happen at some point in our lifetimes. Because um, they, they produce five times more energy than they actually need because no one lives there. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's pretty... Basically, having a reactor that you can't move, which is the Earth. Um, yeah, so. It orcs. <laughs> not, not really possible. We have to all move to Iceland. <laughs> Henry, you're a, a, a massive right winger, apparently. Slightly left leaning. But if we're if we're talking Brexit, what are your opinions on the customs union, the partnership, whatever might be going on right now with Theresa May? Yeah, it's really difficult. So I um. You know, you and you said uh, in a recent podcast that your respect for the Lords had gone through the roof recently. Yeah, massively My, so. I, I, I previously had a lot of respect for the Lords. I just feel, you know, 15 times, you know, that it doesn't feel very so pragmatic. It feels like they're just sort of dragging their heels. No, they're a revising and, chamber. But I, I feel like they're dragging their, feet, their, their heels along the floor in the hope that it just won't happen. Every um, good decision that's come out of Brexit hasn't come from this government. It's come from elsewhere. It's come from the Lords or it's come from the Labour Party. The Lords were the first people to try and put amendments in. I mean, this, the most recent one, was they try and, they tabled an amendment for environmental protections. That, that's the sort of thing that most people who are worried about Brexit want to see in black and white before we leave the EU. We will guarantee X financial protect, uh, environmental protections. The first time it was sent back was over the rights of EU citizens living in this country. The Lords, as a chamber, as what they're meant to do, this is what they're meant to do. Make sure that governments with sketchy majorities and all sorts of higgle-piggle mess they've got... At least, at least they were voted for. ...make sensible decisions. Well, 40% of the population voted for the Conservative government um, to deliver this. Uh, hardly a convincing mandate. And the revising chamber... Obviously, the, the classic saying is that the House of Lords were created to throw out Labour Party bills. Um, but in this case, I think they've done a fine job in filling in for the government's problems. The Lords would not have done all these things if the government had got their act together and said, OK, yeah, environmental protections, guaranteed, EU citizens, guaranteed. They've done all the realistic things that government should have done when negotiating a huge task like this. They wouldn't have need to send the bill back, but it's such a you know it's such a sketchy, sketch. I mean, the powers that the government wants to take from Parliament, and I mean, the reason Hollywood won't vote uh, for the withdrawal bill is it takes power that should be in in the hands of the uh, assemblies away from them. So that basically, the government has asked people. This Conservative government has asked 
the lords and all the assemblies to say, give us a free hand. Let us do what we want. Why on earth would anyone say, yeah, you do what the hell you want? Not a chance. You know, I'm, I'm so ashamed of the Welsh Assembly who have buckled. They should have been lined up with the Scottish government and said, no, we're not, we're not accepting this either. But unfortunately, Welsh Labour are not uh, of the same ilk as their uh, colleagues <laughs> in England and, well, now in Scotland. Henry, any final thoughts on Brexit? No, um, I, as as you know, I, I, I should try and bluff my way through domestic politics, but I, I prefer international politics. You and I agree with you. Congratulations, you've done well. Oh goodness, dangerous words. <laughs> yes, you've had a stormer of a podcast. Um, but 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 remember, I do the editing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm hoping this one will be fairly easy to edit. Right. Cool. Uh, is that the conclusion? Uh, Ewan, yeah, you and final thoughts? Yeah. yeah. Cheers for that. Yeah, that's pretty much. Cool. <laughs> I think that's the conclusion. Thank you very much for listening to the People's News Roundup.